salesman talking to me, trying to run me up a creek so you can buy it. Go on, try it. You can pay me next week. Uh-uh. Too much monkey business. I too much monkey business. I too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Hello and welcome to Monkey Club, a look at Simeon Cinema throughout the years. I'm Christian Larson. I'm Chris Mattiello. And uh, today's episode, episode three, is 1951's Bedtime for Bonzo, starring Ronald Reagan. And uh, with us today, we have a big Ronald Reagan fan in his own right. We have uh, my old pal, Rob Arecci. Hi, great to be here. I love Ronald Reagan, but I just love chimpanzees even more. <laughs> You're in for a treat because you're getting plenty of both. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> and uh, around here at Monkey Club, we like to start off our, uh, our episodes by playing a little game with the guest. Uh, Rob, it's called 12 Monkeys. And uh, we ask you, we challenge you to give us the plot or summarize this movie in 12 words or less. Good luck. Hmm, well, I was trying to write down some key phrases of the film. So, I, you know, one of the things I would say... Uh, Inverted psychological domination makes for <laughs> monkey business. No wonder they are worried. That's 12 on the nose. Congratulations, uh, sir. That delves into the, the psychological aspects of this, because really this, this movie is more than just a romantic comedy with a monkey. It's, it's a psychological experiment. That was what I was most surprised of about this movie. I really didn't have any preconceived notions going into this film except for its you know, saying bedtime for Bonzo, that's always just like a phrase that I had <laughs> said or heard, like when I was tired, I'd be like, oh man, it's bedtime for Bonzo. And like, I knew I was referring <laughs> to a monkey movie, but yeah, I just thought it would be fairly straightforward. And uh, so for that, I was definitely the most surprised. And it starts off with what may be the only uh, attempted chimp suicide on film. <laughs> the wacky scientist calls young dashing psychology professor what's his name in the movie professor uh boyd john boyd or jim something boyd james peter. boyd peter boyd sounds right and uh and he's like oh you have to help me get him off the ledge he's suicidal and i'm like oh of course it's going to be the monkey and it is the monkey and he he talks him off the ledge using uh, and and rob what was that phrase it was inverted psychological domination yeah, wow. It seems like he was making a lot of that up, frankly. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's going out on a ledge. Whoa. I think it's a smart way to say reverse psychology, maybe. And he he explains it to the audience while he's on the roof. You know, yeah. I'm going to tell him what I don't want him to do, and then maybe he'll do what I do want him to do. Like, fine, Bonzo, jump. <laughs> <laughs> he also yeah. references, I believe, the Gestalt method, and then busts out a tuning fork, and... I did a little research into what that is, and it doesn't have anything to do with, like, sound training or anything like that. So the movie is very, uh, much like 1951 in general, is probably not extremely accurate on its psychology. I was pretty sure that tuning forks had nothing. I don't, I don't remember a lot from the Psych 101 class I took, but I remember the word gestalt being thrown around here and there, and tuning forks were not part of it. We're introduced to the monkey, but then we're introduced to the crusty old Dean. Ooh. Ronald Reagan's future father-in-law, which, of course, creates wacky complications. Yeah, and it turns out some weird old guy named uh, Mr. Breckenridge shows up, and he's like, I knew your father. He was the best criminal in the world. For some reason, this, this convinces the dean that Professor Boyd is going to end up just like his father. The dean is like, the engagement is off. He's like, you're done. 
you know, your dad is Silky Boyd. He was like basically the best criminal ever. Uh, according to this stranger who just walked in here with a picture of your mom that your dead dad gave him. His dad's name was Silky? Silky Boyd. That's right in my notes. I don't know. I got in there somewhere. That is a great criminal nickname. Silky Boyd, the, a.k.a. the professor. So Professor Silky Boyd, you know, <laughs> not a great guy. But Professor Peter Boyd, man of science. So what do you do when you have a father of a criminal and his son is a man of science, a real professor? Well, you tell him, I don't want you marrying my daughter. <laughs> the engagement's off. I would put it this way, Dean Tillingest. Given a decent start in life, my father would have gone just as far in the right direction as he went in the wrong one. Peter, you studied under Dr. Huxman, the geneticist, didn't you? Yes, sir. And did you consider him a good teacher? An excellent teacher. Did you agree with his theory that criminal traits were hereditary? I did not. And did you ever cite to Dr. Huxman your own case as an example? I certainly did. You did? Yes. And did it alter his theory? No, as a matter of fact, he and the entire class disagreed with me. Oh, there you are. But Dr. Huxman also recognized my right to disagree with him. So do I, Peter, but... But I am no longer good enough to marry your daughter. You forget that I was a professor of genetics myself. As a matter of fact, Valerie is an example of the genetic approach to marriage. Intellectual? I'll take the credit for that. And beautiful like her mother was. I think I know Valerie's good points. I asked her to become my wife. I appreciate that. But what assurance have I that your children, my grandchildren, won't inherit criminal tendencies? What do you want us to do? Give you a written guarantee that our kids won't grow up to be con men and thieves? We are men of science, Peter. And if we don't practice those theories we believe in... But what about what Valerie believes in? She's my daughter. I'm willing to overlook that point. That's enough, young man. Under the circumstances, Professor Boyd, there's just one thing you can do. Under the circumstances, let me tell you, there's one thing you can do. That guy goes straight to the dean of the college to let someone know that Ronald Reagan's dad was a criminal. Kind of a dick move. Well, he's almost, like, proud of it. He's like, oh, man. Like, you imagine, like, this guy finally got out of jail and goes right to the college. And he's like, no, I loved your dad. Your dad was awesome. He was, like, such a cool criminal. And it's like, oh, whoa. What did you say? He was what? This guy is so enthusiastic. It doesn't seem like he's trying to hurt the real Professor Boyd. But he's just so excited. I think, number one, to be out of prison and number two, he mentions that Peter Boyd, the son, Ronald Reagan, looks just like his father. So maybe there was a little romantic subtext going on in there between uh, this guy. I don't know. In any case, he ironically, he wasn't trying to blow up Boyd's spot at all. No. He was just trying to deliver the trinket and let him know that even though his father was very distant, he still loved him and his mother and all that stuff. He was actually trying to do a good thing. And Ronald Reagan goes to bat for his old criminal dad. He defends the lower class and kind of brings up a nature versus nurture situation. Like, if he had all the opportunities that you had, then he probably would have been a great man like me. And considering Reagan would basically run on the Eat the Poor's platform, uh, it is a really weird thing to hear come out of his mouth. Yeah, I, I was wondering what 80s Reagan would have thought about this philosophy. He even says his father was the product of a slum environment and that he was a product of his surroundings and that he really didn't have a choice because of how he was brought up. And that sort of empathy really tends to uh, contrast with what you hear about Reagan, who, who probably would have nuked the homeless if he could have. So then, of course, Boyd, being the brilliant man of science that he is, comes up with a plan that inevitably involves a monkey named Bonzo. Well, I mean, I guess you could see shortly thereafter why the monkey's so depressed. I mean, he's in the cage. Uh, they make a note of saying that he's straight from Africa. 
So it's not like he was born and raised on the campus. He's an imported monkey that they keep caged up. And then they're surprised when he tries to kill himself. So just going to show he's got something else going on there. And then very quickly, we decide that Bonzo could be the key to all of Ron Reagan's problems here with his betrothed Valerie. And speaking of Bonzo, he's just so sad. Bonzo's adorable. He's the first actual monkey that we've come across in Monkey Club so far. That's not a puppet or a person in a suit or a stop motion thing. And he is just the absolute cutest. Like, say what you will about this movie, but he's adorable. And I don't know if it's just that chimps naturally look sad, but every time it cut to him, I was just like, oh, Bonzo. Well, the monkey that played Bonzo is a real, you know, show business monkey who actually died in a zoo fire shortly after this was filmed. Because, of course, I had to look up information on Bedtime for Bonzo. So according to some of the trivia uh, that I read about the film, the monkey died shortly thereafter, did not live to see the sequel, which actually Ronald Reagan also declined to act in. So really just the monkey that played Bonzo was a sad monkey. He wasn't really acting. I think he was sad to be in Hollywood. I think he was sad to do a movie and go back to the zoo. And clearly he probably didn't enjoy dying in a fire. No, not a lot of people did. No, most of them don't. This was definitely rife with situations that were not safe for the monkey. This monkey had some good tricks. Like, he was flipping around and cartwheeling off of things. He was cartwheeling off of some very high things. He was tumbling around near moving cars at certain points. Like, this monkey just might have been sick of all the shit that he was going through. Right, because they never make it clear why he's there in the first place. Um, he's just kind of like the lab monkey. They're not doing animal testing on him. They're, they don't have him set up for anything in particular. Um, they're just trying to keep him from killing himself, I guess, at that point. So Boyd decides to take the monkey home to prove that a proper upbringing and being surrounded by love and support can change your outcome in life. And he plans on taking care of this monkey, but he actually doesn't really plan on taking care of the monkey because he's got classes to teach. So he puts out an ad, Mary Poppins style, for a nanny, I guess, a live-in nanny to raise this monkey with him. Yeah, the monkey needs a traditional household, obviously, and he gets a woman by the name of Jane, who is basically, I guess, a professional live-in nanny, right? I mean, yeah, she raised her five, what, what'd she say, her five brothers? Five kids, yeah. Dad was a farmer, so he's got no time for that. Yeah, well, he was busy being the richest man in six counties. <laughs> Which is, you know, when you see the movie, something that she says her dad used to say. Obviously not monetarily rich, but rich with life experience. Which makes me wonder if he started out with a couple kids, he's like, I'm the richest man in the county. And then, like, his yeah, marriage got well. good, he had another <laughs> kids. I'm the richest man in three counties. And then uh, he made it up to six before, you know, everything went bad. Would you call this a comedy? It, it's such a non-movie to me. It's like a family movie. It's a comedy. It's got some elements of romance, some drama. But it's not a comedy all the way through. I mean, I guess maybe a farce is the best way to describe it. Yeah, it's got some elements of a lot of those things. Farce, definitely, especially that he's trying to keep the whole thing secret from his fiance. That whole scene where the, the nanny's singing to the monkey and he's like, oh, those kids and their music, ha ha ha. But yeah, it's very, it's not very good at any of those things. It's just kind of like a nothing movie. There's really not much to it. Yeah, he tries to warn her before she goes up to see the child and he says, well, I gotta let you know it's a monkey. And she's like, oh, all men say that about children or something along those lines. And then 
she's shocked and appalled when it is an actual monkey. And that's, yeah, it's the first attempt at humor. But uh, she takes this weird classifieds ad watching a chimpanzee job very quickly, considering, as we talked about on the King Kong episode, just the idea of primates in general was very new just 20 years earlier, that they could see them like they were such a hot topic. For her to just be like, yeah, there's one in this house that wears a diaper and sleeps in a crib, and we're going to have it call us mommy and daddy. Like, she's, she's very on board with this. And they start calling each other mama and papa pretty quickly. Whose idea is it to call each other mama and papa? Well, I think at first he doesn't like that she calls him professor all the time. Yeah. Because he's like, you know, you call me professor all the time. Bonzo doesn't think of me as his father because all he hears is, so of course he blames it on Jane. You know, you just call me professor all the time. So I think it's he prompts Jane to come up with the idea that they should go by Mama and Papa, you know, for the sake of Bonzo feeling more like he's in a stable, loving home. Why don't you act more like his father instead of like a school teacher? I guess I have got a lot to learn about being father, haven't I? You sure have, Professor Boyd. You know, that Professor Boyd business might be part of it, too. Why don't you try calling me something more familiar, like, like father? Father? Mm. Well, he might not understand it at first, but it would give more of a family atmosphere. Not to me, it wouldn't. The only time Mama ever called Papa father was when she was mad at him. Well, Daddy would sound a little silly, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Papa? Yes. Papa? Well, then I'd have to call you... Mama. Mama goes with Papa. But, of course, there is an ulterior motive, because obviously Jane is starting to dig the professor, and the whole Mama-Papa thing doesn't hurt, especially if he has to give her a kiss before he leaves in the morning. Oh, it's super weird, and there's a lot of weird daddy issue stuff in this movie. Reagan uh, also says, uh, as Jane explains, that Bonzo's starting to be attached to him. He drops an Oedipus Complex reference. Oh, yeah. In the scene where they decide to start calling each other Mama and Dada, and I just got real squicked out. (laughs) He says, an Oedipus complex already. I've only been his father for a week. And this kind of brings up the love triangle aspect of it all. And as I was watching this unfold, I was thinking to myself, how many movies since this, and maybe even before it, have had this same plot where you have the guy who's supposed to marry the maybe uh, high-maintenance, upper-class woman, but along the way he meets a girl who's more working-class, more down-to-earth, and through a series of misadventures, they end up falling in love. And there's got to be, like, tons. I I feel like Richard Gere personally starred in four of them. The thing is... Tropes and plots like that usually do play themselves out. Very little is played out in this movie. After this, we do get that very, very brief scene where uh, his fiance comes over and he quickly ushers her out so she doesn't know about the experiment and that there's a woman living with him. And uh, I know that we're supposed to be on Ronnie's side throughout this whole thing, but he's kind of really shitty. He's very much a job-before-personal-life kind of person, which I guess is what Jane is supposed to be the exact contrast to since her job is being a mother. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, he really doesn't have all that much interest in being around and being a father. He just wants the experiment completed, and he assumes Jane's going to do most of the work. And he assumes right. I mean, she spends the most time with Bonzo. She becomes 
uh, like we mentioned before, very attached to Bonzo and almost ends up speaking for Bonzo in a lot of the film in a way that, you know, Ronald Reagan as Peter Boyd really doesn't. Professor Boyd never seems to move beyond the fact that this is an experiment that's going to prove my point. Whereas Jane very quickly is like, this is a creature that I'm caring for and I am going to raise this monkey. So Jane kind of has the right idea from the start. You know, everyone else kind of seems to grow more attached to him than Professor Boyd does, in a way. And I feel like this is, with the exception of King Kong, a lot of monkey movies, like I was saying with Ed, people just fall in love with this monkey as soon as they see him. He's just the most awesome, wonderful, adorable thing in the world. He's kind of an asshole, but it's actually easier to take this monkey being an animal, since it is an actual, real animal, as opposed to animatronic or anything like that we've seen in the past, where, like, watching Ed was... And the monkey was being really shitty. It was just like, all right, fuck this monkey. This one, I guess the fact that it was real made it more endearing. Yeah, and also the fact that it's supposed to be a child. You know, it's it's supposed to be treated like a child, unlike Ed, who was supposed to be like a roommate. And I think that's maybe where the comedy aspect comes in. You know, if you're watching this through the lens of, you know, you're watching a movie and you're living in 1951, and now all of a sudden there's a movie about human beings trying to raise a chimpanzee as a baby... Like, you know, it's just like unfathomable. Like they're looking at it like the most outrageous thing. Whereas now we're like, where is the funny in this? I think maybe just Bonzo himself is the funny in this. I mean, I looked at the movie poster and it's a big, you know, how they were back then, you know, the big animated, you know, like the the painting movie poster with the big bedtime for Bonzo and the big letters. And it's literally very small Reagan, very small Jane in a bed. And Bonzo is wearing striped pajamas and he's jumping out of the bed like at you. He's jumping at the audience and he's jumping at the viewer of this poster. He's, you know, takes up most of the poster. So it's like, look how crazy and outrageous this movie is. And I think 60 years ago, it probably was. Like Chris was saying before, you didn't see a monkey every day. Seeing a monkey doing backflips and, and hanging from a tree was a big deal. There's a bit of a subplot with a professor that Boyd runs into when he's buying breakfast in the supermarket and he buys prunes and the professor is like oh why are you buying all these prunes is there something we should know about Uh, again going back to the 50s thing everybody knows everything about everyone and everything's a scandal and the fact that Boyd might be shopping for baby food of course since he's not married yet is a big deal and so that immediately becomes something that he has to cover up whereas you know in modern audiences you couldn't even imagine having a conversation with an acquaintance at a grocery store about what you're buying and it becomes like like a major focus point of that subplot is that he's mysteriously buying baby food and what for i'm not gonna lie i have like no recollection of of a large chunk of this movie i'm just realizing (laughs) and i watched it this morning so (laughs) like the next thing i remember is bonzo in a tree so you guys are really gonna have to take the lead on this one well we're right (laughs) at the same point in time of of, it's kind of like simultaneous action i believe I think while Professor is away at the grocery store on his way home from work, you know, Bonzo's getting into some uh, some mischief. Oh, yes. Classic hijinks. Classic uh, monkey shines, if you will. No. He's out on the power lines. He's in a tree. What else is he doing? He's on the roof doing backflips. He's left alone, and he turns the vacuum on, and the vacuum kind of explodes, and he jumps out the window. And thus begins his little adventure. And up to this point, I think, up to that point in the movie, it was like the highlight of the movie. It's This is the action scene, because they kind of give us a little fake-out earlier. He comes home late from work, and, um, 
you know, doesn't come home for dinner. And Jane makes a mention that, you know, sometimes Papa doesn't have to come home for dinner every day. I guess you're not used to that, Bonzo, because Bonzo's, you know, very sad. But he's really just afraid of the storm. There's, like, lightning and thunder going on. So the window's open, and Bonzo runs into Jane's bedroom. And then later when the professor comes home and he sees Bonzo's not in the crib and the window's open, he does... You know, have a little mini freak out, but it almost comes from a place of like the experiment is loose. Then like, oh, I lost Bonzo. And much to his relief, Bonzo is laying calmly in bed with Jane. He has not escaped. That's an adorable scene, by the way. It was one of the best. Bonzo in the bed. She lets him in, gives him a hug, lets him everything's going to be okay. You get to see that, you know, Jane is really connecting with uh, with little Bonzo and really living out the title of the movie. That was the one point where it really was bedtime for Bonzo. I thought the movie would have a lot more to do with getting this monkey to go to sleep, and it really only happens in one scene. <laughs> so he gets, he gets up to all these hijinks. He picks up the phone and makes a phone call. <laughs> and they they send the the fire department now now even though the monkey is a monkey his monkey sounds are probably added in post the monkey sound effects are insane if you had a way to just like isolate those and just use them as sound effects on something or to just listen to that audio track they're they're insane it's like what someone thinks a monkey sounds like who's never seen a monkey like who's never seen one in real life and looks at a picture of a monkey and it's like yeah i think this is what a monkey would sound like and I think yeah. they maybe even added some human-sounding noises, maybe on purpose. Because I was sometimes, I swear, he sounded like a crying baby, like a human they, child. Yeah, they call that out specifically. Like, when she's first thinking of taking the job, she says, oh, he sounds like a crying baby. And he's like, oh, yes, well, monkeys are very much like humans. But, but. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that is very on purpose. And the operator who hears the Bonzo phone call states that she thinks it sounds like someone's choking to death on the other end. Uh, which is why she sends the police, which uh, point towards Bonzo not sounding entirely authentic. One thing I was thinking of that we we skipped over is that part of this experiment is that he's trying to teach human morals and values to this monkey. He keeps making notes about how the monkey's learning, and he even shows a video where like the monkey goes through his desk and starts to take a banana out, but then puts it back because he knows that's wrong. It made me wonder about the extent to which you can train a monkey. Like, I suppose you can train them on a very basic level to do and not do certain things. But to ingrain in them a sense of, like, human right and wrong, I don't know if that's even possible. Well, it's it's less of an experiment, seemingly, about right and wrong than it is property ownership law. Because the whole thing boils down to, like, is this my thing? Oh, is it someone else's? Yes. They never teach him things like, it's not nice to have mom chase you up into the tree and then you push the ladder away, stranding her up there. Uh, <laughs> it's more just about, is this mine or not? Yeah. Can I eat this banana? <laughs> Finally, everything kind of comes to a head at Bonzo's birthday party where he's dressed like a cowboy for no good reason. This is the part where the wacky German comic relief professor has been told they're selling Bonzo for medical experimentation. This is the part where the aforementioned professor tells Boyd that maybe Jane might be falling in love with him. And of course, he's been totally oblivious. And it all leads up to this big dramatic hoo-ha. Yeah, his engagement is over and he's on the rocks with the crusty old dean. And uh, it looks like his experiment is, uh, is coming to an end, and he's going to be losing Bonzo, he's going to be losing the girl. What is a Ronald Reagan to do? Suppose you have to give up, Bonzo. Oh, so that's it. Now, Hans, be sensible. I expect to give up Bonzo just as soon as the experiment's finished. 
It isn't wise to get too attached to animals. To that conclusion, I've already jumped. But what about Jane? Well, I expect she'll take it pretty hard. She's very emotional about him. It's a sublimation, a transference, since at the moment she hasn't anyone upon whom to lavish her affections. You're sure of that, huh? Positive. I know her like a book. Don't worry about her. She'll get over it all right. I intend to give her three months' salary when I let her go. She'll have a nice long vacation before she has to take another job. Well, what you should do is you never talk about someone who you know is in your house that's in a room away. There could be a whole other subgenre of movies where things could have been avoided if you just didn't talk about a person behind their back when they're literally on the same floor of the same house as you. You're pretty much asking for it at that point. So I'm sub... whatever you call it, transferring, am oh, I? Jane, so you know me like a book. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Professor Peter Papa Boyd, you've come to the last page. To where it says the end. We get the uh, the bedtime for Bonzo, she's all that moment. It's like, was I a fucking bet? Was I just an experiment? Was I was I supposed to be a monkey's uh, mom? Fuck you, Ronald Reagan. Like, it's totally that <laughs> scene. You're right. There is a whole subgenre of this she's all that moment. Oh, definitely. In uh, another classic farcical moment, Boyd runs up to her room and knocks on the door and she says, go away. And he does. And then Bonzo comes to the door, just like he did on that night that he was scared and wanted to sleep in her bed, and jiggles the handle, and she yells, go away, I don't ever want to see you again, and Bonzo runs away, and he hops on his tricycle and heads to town for a crime spree. The tricycle is incredibly adorable. <laughs> you know, he was already in a cowboy outfit, now he's riding a tricycle. I'm like, is someone going to give this monkey a cigarette or what? <laughs> Spoiler alert, no. He he never he doesn't have, he never gets a cigarette, sorry to tell you, but Oh man. It was established earlier that he likes shiny things. He kept stealing Jane's sparkly necklace. And so he goes to the jewelry store and steals a necklace from the display. And eventually Boyd tracks him down and he's like, Oh Bonzo, what are you doing? And he sees the necklace and of course being a brilliant man of science, he decides to go to the jewelry store himself and try to break in and replace the necklace himself, and he gets arrested, because of course. I guess this in some way kind of both confirms and denies the Dean's genetic theory. Uh, it's more of like a nature versus nature thing. Like, look, you have this uh, ability to be a criminal in you, but without the father figure, as Ronald Reagan is the bad father, Bonzo fulfills that prophecy and goes to the life of crime. But when Ronald Reagan's a good father, you know, he proves the dean wrong that they don't have to grow up to be criminals. As soon as it was, it was introduced that Bonzo liked shiny things like jewelry, I knew there was going to be a scene where Bonzo steals someone's jewelry and it's blamed on Boyd and his whole theory comes crashing down. He's being interrogated by the cops, and of course the cops have this very convenient narrative, you know? He's the son of a criminal. He stole this necklace, and he's telling ridiculous stories about a monkey that is nowhere to be found. Now look here, Professor. You may know a lot about psychology, but you don't know the law. We could send you up for possession of stolen goods, if nothing else. That's two to ten, Professor. Now why don't you be a good fella and come clean? I've told you the truth, strange as it sounds. Strange is right. Like the time Daggett here caught you up a tree with a blonde. Looking for a monkey with glasses. Hey, you told me that before. That was the truth, too. And uh, Jane has also skipped town with a, with a broken heart and uh, a bonzo taken away from her. He's, he's being crated up to be sent to Yale to be uh, medically experimented on. 
And yeah, Ronnie plays it really cool with the cops, though. He doesn't crack. He keeps a straight face. If he had just made one phone call, though, this whole thing could have really been uh, maybe not completely wrapped up, but the the weird old Russian guy could have very easily brought the monkey to the police station and been like, you know, no, there's, there's there's an actual monkey. He doesn't yeah, have Alzheimer's yet. There's a great one of the few parts of this movie that I thought were legitimately funny. And there are movies, there are comedies from the time that still hold up. Like I can watch some screwball Tracy and Hepburn movies from the 40s, and they are just so well written and they have such good lines that are timeless. There were not many of those moments in this movie, but one was, and this is going to sound stupid, but uh, the professor's like, oh, he's going to go to Yale. And they're like, he's sending him to jail? No, to Yale. That was the one thing I rewinded to see if it was actually a joke. Because <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay, they did put one in. That's good. The other uh, line that I liked was the professor is like, uh, what is this, how to make friends and influence deans? I wrote that because, one down, yeah. Yeah, How to Make Friends and Influence Others was, was like a popular book at the time. Timely so, joke for 1951, yeah. very timely joke. So everything gets straightened out, and they're back in the dean's office. Uh, everyone loves the monkey. Operation Bonzo, as the, as the crusty old dean calls it, is a complete success. Professor Boyd has proved his worth to the dean and to the college. And there's a twist I, I mean, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming. It's the ending you expect, and it's also the ending you don't expect. I thought they were going to go in a different direction for a second there. It actually did fool me. I mean, I just want to say one thing back about, I guess, with the necklace, because this all hinges on Bonzo putting the necklace back. Once they yeah. finally bring Bonzo back, this is how it all gets resolved, is that he took the necklace thinking it would be a gift for Jane, then when the cops finally agree to go down to the place, see, they get Bonzo the necklace and send him on his way. And I'd like to point out that they make mention in the movie that they all waited there for four hours yeah. for Bonzo <laughs> to come in with the necklace. They don't need to say that. There's no reason for that to be in the movie because the yeah. police are about to go. They're, they're about giving up. They're waiting in this empty jewelry store. In the dark, in the middle of the night, waiting for a chimpanzee to climb in through the window to return a necklace. And then one of them makes a comment, well, I would think this is about done here. We've been here for four hours. Four <laughs> hours it took Bonzo to get from the police station to the jewelry store to put the thing back. So I want to know, like, what was he doing during that time? That could be a whole other exploration into what Bonzo had up his sleeve for the last four hours. But when he finally does show up, it really clinches it all when he puts the necklace back. Basically, yeah, that proves Boyd's theory. They taught the monkey right from wrong, or more like Chris had mentioned, you know, what's mine and what's not mine. Um, he learned that pretty well. And then when it's all over, we learn that uh, everyone's super, super happy. Bonzo is not being sold to Yale, even though they mentioned, too, that they were selling him for $2,500. Which is like, oh wow, twenty five hundred dollars. You can get a monkey for that. So I went out and uh, was watching this with my wife, and she thought to look up the uh, exchange rate. So we did, just to see what would twenty five hundred dollars for a monkey be. And it turns out they were going to get a cool twenty three thousand five hundred dollars for Bonzo. So just to put it to you that way, you know, twenty three grand for a uh, for a suicidal chimp that might off himself anyway. Not a bad deal, you know. So for them to totally bail on that idea of sending him to jail i mean to yale was a, a was a it was a pretty big deal so at the end of the movie everyone's ready to go they're they're going to cut their losses they're not going to you know sell them for twenty three thousand. and then we learn that 
Well, the dean's going on too long. He's talking too much. He's interrupting a honeymoon, says Valerie, who we know as the fiancé. But she doesn't say my honeymoon, and that proves to be very telling as to the finale of this film. Yeah, and also Boyd says to Valerie, like, I just want to thank you. You've been great through all of this. And knowing what we know now about how it ends, it it makes sense. He's like, you know what? You dealt with a bunch of crazy shit, and obviously you were mature enough to realize that Jane is better for me than you, and they're still going to be friends or whatever. And he walks out the door and gets in the car with Jane, and that's when you know. That's when you know. Yeah, they drive away, top down with the monkey standing on the trunk. So if the monkey wasn't suicidal before, he might just lose his life on the way to the honeymoon. (laughs) That does not seem safe. And Boyd says, well, now I feel like the richest man in six counties, which brings it full circle with her comments from earlier. And with her daddy issues, since she's effectively married her father. Yeah, yeah, oof. I have one piece of of trivia that I found interesting. The film was directed by a man named Fred D. Cordova, who went on to be uh, a longtime director of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And during the 80s, when Reagan was president, Johnny Carson would often show clips from Bedtime for Bonzo and mock D. Cordova, who was the director of the show, for being (laughs) part of it. Our own Fred de Cordova was a, was a passenger on the Titanic. Most people don't know that. Uh, and Fred escaped by using a little old lady as a flotation device. <laughs> Not true. No, you're, you're way too young for that. She said she was unsinkable. Here's a, an, another interesting thing from Wikipedia from DeCardova's page. During guest appearances on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, comedian Will Ferrell played the role of a deluded Robert Goulet, who believed himself to be a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. <laughs> Ferrell's fictional Goulet made references to DeCardova, insisting that he owed him money, or conversely, that Goulet owed DeCardova money. Goulet! Yeah! <laughs> So nice. So, so nice you could make the time to be here. Mm. Excellent to have you here. Burbank? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's good. How's I'm... the back end? <laughs> right? Pretty good, Is yeah. Is Freddy still here? Freddy de Cordova? Freddy de Freddy? I don't think so. You still hoping I'd pay you back that $15 I mm-hmm. you? Well, you're not going to see it. <laughs> I've choked bigger men than you. <laughs> wow. So, Rob, how did you, you know, how would you rate this movie? How did you like it? I think the movie's worth watching. I think it's not super long. It's not complicated. To be a fan of movies and in pop culture and American history, you know, it's pretty insane to think that you're watching a young president of the United States. I mean, say what you will about his politics and the way that he ran the country and his legacy as basically like a Republican demigod. But, I mean, man, you just can't imagine this being something that a president would have done. You know, it makes me think back to Back to the Future, that Ronald Reagan's the president. You know, so the, the actor? That, that shock, like, Dr. Doc Brown probably just watched Bedtime for Bonzo and couldn't believe that this guy was the president of the United States in 1985. So, I mean, you know, it says a lot to Reagan, got to the highest office of this country and one of the biggest jobs in the world from a movie like this and a film career where this is pretty much the highlight 
I mean, I don't know much about Ronald Reagan's movies. I will admit this is the first film I've ever seen him act in, and it was great to finally see it, like I said, knowing that this existed this whole time. I'd say it was entertaining. I'd say it's worth it. I, I'm on IMDb, and it has a 5.3. I think that's about right. Like, I didn't, you don't hate it. You don't love it. You don't, like, I'm not going to go tell all my friends to watch it, but I don't think I wasted my time. And now I can say, yes, I've gotten bedtime for Bonzo out of the way. I'm ready for the next one. You're totally right. I never even thought about, like, the impact of... I know that he did a lot of, like, kind of no-name westerns at the time, but, like, the the idea, like, growing up with knowing... Like, vaguely knowing this actor, and then 30 years later, he's the president. It'd be like, we turn 60, and the schnozberries taste like schnozberries guy is president of the United States, and Ethan Soupley is his vice president. It's like, that doesn't... <laughs> You oh, that was that was a really good reference. I like that. You can't possibly fathom that in your head. It's like it's Lovecraftian. Like thinking that breaks you, but like that happened. It yeah, doesn't, Wayne. It's like just charmingly like pre-social media. Like it's charmingly anti-internet, anti-connectivity. Like, could you imagine just the endless, endless, endless like ridicule, memes, like annoying slang terms that could have come about if we had a guy running right now who was in like a shitty '90s teen comedy or something, and now he's in his fifties and he's running for president. Like, it would be relentless. He would, you know, we've had. Presidential candidates laughed out of their campaigns for much less than being a star in a monkey movie. I mean, you know, making a noise on the trail can make you the source of ridicule so much you have to drop your campaign in this age of connectivity. So it's just charmingly, almost shockingly different times. And he was able to be the president and not have to talk about bedtime for Bonzo like every single day, although I'm sure it did come up. Allegedly, he didn't even see this movie until 1984. Whether I believe that or not, I, I think that might just be what Reagan told people who would say, hey, remember you in that monkey movie? No, 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 I haven't even seen it. I haven't even seen it. I agree with Rob. I thought the movie was pretty charming. I mean, I was expecting a lot worse. It is a B movie. It's bland. It's not something I'm probably ever going to want to see again, but it was charming. The, I mean, Reagan was pretty charming. I feel like that's the best adjective to describe it. The female lead in it, Diana Lynn. Diana Lynn was adorable and charming, and you gotta love the monkey. The monkey was great. I wanted a hug from Bonzo. Yeah, and Diana Lynn was in a really nothing else of note. Uh, it was pretty much just bedtime for Bonzo. I mean, she was in a lot of stuff, but there's nothing here that jumps out. She was a mm -hmm. B-movie actress, just like Reagan was a B-movie actor. I mean, if he had never met Nancy Reagan, who pretty much pushed him into politics, he would have been long forgotten. But, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. It's it's a weird little relic. Um, I don't think it was an especially good movie, but it was better than I expected. It was only 80 minutes long. Kind of went in circles a bit, but it's, it's just too fascinating to see, you know, Emperor Reagan acting in... In this monkey movie and I will say there were times when I felt like he was embarrassed to be there I felt like uh, Jane uh, Diana Lynn I felt like she put herself fully into this movie but he was a little like I'm doing a monkey movie <laughs> I believe this is the part in the podcast where we have some challenges for our guests. Yeah, let's play some games. First one, Rob, this one's called Monkey Business. We're asking you, now imagine that we are in the business of monkey films. Can you pitch us a sequel to Bedtime for Bonzo? Oh, absolutely. Let's say, let's jump. Oh, let's jump like, I don't know how long chimps live. So whatever the equivalent to like 15 years later for a monkey would be. So it goes from being a baby to like, maybe like teenage, no, I got it, college age. So you jump into the future and like Bonzo has been homeschooled this whole time. He's very smart, he can count. 
and uh, you know, Ronald Reagan now, Boyd, he's very successful. Maybe he's the dean now. He's the dean of the college, and now it's time for Bonzo to go to college. So Bonzo ends up applying to and being accepted to the same college where he used to be a monkey in a cage. So now Peter Boyd is the new dean who needs to oversee these monkey hijinks now that Bonzo is going to the school where he's in charge. So not only is he father, He's Dean as well. And now Bonzo needs to deal with all the pratfalls of dating. Maybe there's another female monkey in a cage somewhere that he can meet. Perhaps some of the girls think that he's cute and we can kind of get like into some lighthearted, you know, monkey attraction, which could be like kind of weird and fun. He can go to a party and maybe get drunk by accident. Uh, Lots of little hijinks, he's late for class. Obviously, uh, I would like to think maybe he rides a skateboard at one point and wears sunglasses and makes friends with people who teach him the ways of, uh, you know, growing up and really being a, being a college kid. So I would say Bonzo Goes to College would definitely be the sequel. Well, I'm pretty well, sure I mean, that was the sequel, right? Yeah, uh, you would be 100 correct. The actual title from 1952 is called Bonzo Goes to College. I just need it with Reagan as the dean because I know he didn't make it back to the sequel. That's what I would have wanted to see. There's very little information about this movie, but it does appear that Bonzo becomes uh, a football player at a college... It might have been the first monkey playing sports movie. Yeah. Truly groundbreaking. <laughs> Definitely. On the poster, he's wearing like those little leatherhead football helmets. Of course. And he it's is. kind of adorable. I, ha- I have a feeling we're going to have a very tough time finding this movie, but uh, I kind of want to. I kind of want to yeah, see the sequel. we kind of have to. And Rob, I hope you'll come back for it. I will be honored. I would love to see another adventure with Bonzo. Speaking of adventures, Rob, we got one more game. Uh, really, this is more of a roundtable discussion. It's called uh, Apes versus Humans. So far, the score is Apes 1, Human 0, where we all decided that the ape in Ed uh, was far and away the best actor in the movie, far better than all of his human counterparts, including Friends superstar Matt LeBlanc. Hmm. Um, so... Who do we think was the did the best performance, was the best actor in this film? Was it Bonzo or any other human? Oh, that's a tough call. I mean, Bonzo jumps to the forefront. They had him perform a litany of tricks and really conveyed his sadness through film. But Jane was just so darn sweet. I mean, you really, you really believe that she loved this monkey. Like, it's almost sad to know that the monkey that played Bonzo and the actress that played Jane, like, didn't end up together in real life. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the fence with that one. I, yeah, I think I, it's between the same two people, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely not between Bonzo and, and Reagan. Definitely the actress who played Jane really carried the film. And if it comes right down to it, she's the MVP. Like I said, I don't know if the monkey playing Bonzo was just naturally sad-looking and worthy of empathy, but Jane was really, like, she did a lot with a pretty thankless role. She was great. I mean, my vote would be for man versus monkey and and that man being Jane. I'll say that I think I'm going to give this one to Bonzo. Uh, Maybe it's just because it's our first actual monkey. And I think also because the safety standards were not up to snuff in 1951. Uh, They let Bonzo do a lot of really uh, dangerous stuff. A lot of crazy flips off of roofs and on top of cars and things. And, uh, that alone surprised me enough that I'm going to give uh, Most Valuable Primate to, uh, to Bonzo. So, Rob, you got to break the tie. Who wins this round, humans or apes? Well, seeing as you guys are going to watch a lot more movies with monkeys and zero more movies with Jane, I give it to Jane. <laughs> All right. There we go. So uh, humans have pulled it even. It's one-to-one now going into the, into the future of Monkey Club. 
Yes. By the time we're done, we'll be able to add up the numbers and find out who wins in a in a post-apocalyptic world, monkeys mm-hmm. or men. Yep, that is the plan. Any last thoughts on bedtime for Bonzo before we put it to bed? Oh, I thought it was charming and boring at the same time. <laughs> it is an impressive combination. You're yeah. absolutely correct. And it, it pulls both off in equal measure. And it's just... Short enough that one doesn't outweigh the other. You're charmed kind of as long as you're bored, and then it's over and they're driving away with a monkey on the roof. It lowers your expectations enough that a monkey playing with a vacuum cleaner is like a high point, and you're looking forward to more things like that occurring. I mean, dust goes everywhere. What a mess. (laughs) Well, uh, for everything Monkey Club, as well as all things Cage Club, Keanu Club, Zack Attack, you can look it all up at the Cage Club Podcast Network Facebook page and at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And thank you for joining us for episode three. Thank you to uh, Rob Arecci. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The wonderful, wonderful guest. And uh, we'll see you next time here on The Monkey Club. Monkey Club.